Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Shepard. I'm joined by Monica Mouse. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. It's a Friday. It's in sunny Los Angeles. Well, it's a Monday. We can be honest here. I don't think so. It's a Friday? People are hating today. They're like, oh, fucking Monday. And here we are like, it's Friday. What's that song? You keep wanting to <laughs> trick me into tricking you. Oh, don't make me sing. <laughs> don't make me sing. I think that they'll love it. I think it'll remind them that Friday is coming <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in five pan- days. <laughs> eminent. <laughs> Friday is eminent. Okay. For Monica, it's Friday and she's in a great mood. For me, it's Monday and I've got a case of the Mondays. But luckily, <laughs> Seth Rogen is here. One of our favorites, returning. He's an actor, a writer, producer, a director, an entrepreneur, and a philanthropist. I don't feel like I even need to read his credits. That would be offensive it to him. It kind of is offensive. Yeah, I'm not going to offend him. But more importantly, I'm going to tell you what he's got new in the pipeline. Number one, a great book called Yearbook. It is entitled Yearbook, and it's a collection of funny personal essays from Seth. And he also has a great weed company called Houseplant. Houseplant is a lifestyle brand rooted in cannabis that creates and curates thoughtful design-led original products. By the way, he showed us a ton of them, which you won't be able to see. They are fucking gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's like really like mod cool stuff. So please enjoy Seth Rogen. We are supported by Bombas. Bombas. Oh my, I'm wearing Bombas right now. Dingle, dingle, dingle. Listen, lots of things can make your workouts hard. Extra resistance, double speed, one more mile. Your socks shouldn't though. That's why Bombas Performance Socks are built to be nothing but comfortable and supportive. Personally, I wear them because of the style. They are so comfortable. Now, not to get into the weeds, Monica, but the reason they're so comfortable is the special Hex Tech Performance Technology. Mm. Bombas Performance Socks are stitched with special moisture-wicking yarn and temperature-regulating vents that allow cool airflow in and prevent overheating. They come in different styles for every sport with specific designs featured to help you optimize performance and keep you comfortable no matter what you're doing. And like all their socks, for every pair of Bombas performance socks you buy, they donate a pair to someone in need. Go to bombas.com slash DAX today and get 20% off your first order. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash DAX for 20% off. Bombas.com slash DAX. We are supported by BetterHelp Online Therapy. During May's Mental Health Awareness Month and throughout June, Armchair Expert is proud to join the cause of destigmatizing therapy. If you are struggling with relationships or having difficulty sleeping or difficulty meeting your goals, if you're feeling anxious or stressed, BetterHelp counselors can listen and help. We love therapy. We'd be lost without it. I stigmatize people who don't go to therapy. Yeah, me too, a little (laughs) bit. like, why? You think you got it all figured out, huh? How's that going? (laughs) Exactly. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Therapists have a broad range of expertise that may not be locally available in your area. The service is available for clients worldwide. All you have to do is log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You can schedule weekly video, phone, or even live chat sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Arm Cherries get 10% off their first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash DAX. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. He's an armchair expert. 
This is going to be terrible. Can I just perfect? Tell you? Yeah, good, gonna... <laughs> good start. <laughs> I just went to get a vaccine, and they had shut the whole thing down and didn't email anyone. I'd driven out to like fucking Alhambra or something. It was an eighty-minute endeavor. That's a big thing. That's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time. Have you gotten one? I have a first one. I found out I'm a triple qualifier. What are your triple qualifications? Well, they opened it up for entertainers. That was last week. I'm an entertainer, so yes. you said that. You also yeah. qualify. I have an autoimmune disorder. There you go. And then they just opened up, like, as well to mental health slash addicts. There you oh. go. I probably, I, yeah. I, <laughs> You're at least a double qualifier. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Honestly, I just got mine recently, so I probably was in the window of qualification anyway and dead. No reason to feel the slight guilt that I ultimately I feel after I do any single thing I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened to me is I finally investigated getting a, an appointment once the entertainer thing. But once that happened, it occurred to me I could have gone for a while for the autoimmune thing and then I found out the attic thing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that all of a sudden everyone had a lot of faith in their government doing it for like <laughs> properly. There's an interesting dynamic at play where like we all know everyone needs to be vaccinated. You don't want to get vaccinated too soon. You want to take a vaccination from someone, but ultimately we all got to get there. And the underlying subtext of it is like the government will take care of it, which is psychotic to me, which is insane <laughs> to for one second say like, don't just do what you think you should do to serve your safety and the safety of your loved ones. The government has this. That's fucking nuts, I would argue. <laughs> there was an interesting New York Times article which compared how red states dealt with it initially versus blue states. So during the pandemic, the red states were getting it at a higher rate because they weren't wearing masks, blah, blah, blah. But now in the vaccine era, the red states have been fucking demolishing the blue states because the blue states are so concerned about equity yeah and they're just like you got a fucking arm and you show up we'll vaccinate you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my cousin works in a hospital and she was saying like a shocking amount of people don't show up and she was appalled by it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> why do you have such a titties microphone oh it's a nice one because uh, i'm doing an animated show oh I'm doing, right I'm doing a lot of things yeah yeah that makes sense it's a good microphone though <laughs> have you ever considered having a podcast I've experimented recently with trying to record a podcast. Okay. Yes. But I'm trying something that is, at least in my head, I novel. can justify is novel. Yeah, so yeah. I would say I'm in like the working it out phase right now of trying to figure it out a little well, bit. Well, yeah, I was wondering yeah. if like the teenage voice in your head was like, you'd be a fucking poser to do it now because everyone's done it. Like the voice that's trying to destroy you from ever being creative. It's more like genuinely, what do I feel like I can offer? And like in a world where you do this very well and also genuinely like... The last thing I want to do personally is interview my friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> and what I'm bumped up against is my friends are generally the people that one has on a podcast. Yeah. 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 And they already have a podcast. Yeah. And they already have a podcast <laughs> and they've given the same interview, you know? And so like I've been struggling, but I think I have, and I hope, and I think it's going actually well, come up with a way to do something that I at least can justify as different. <laughs> yeah. I agree yeah. with you. I think, well, first of all, you should do one because you're so unbelievably creative and funny. So something should happen in the audio space for you. But yeah, we even think about that when we thought about shows we wanted to produce. It's like, well, we don't ever want an interview show again because yeah. we have one and there are so many and there must be something else to do. 
<laughs> yeah, and I'm going in a much more like produced direction also because like I would not imagine I'm a good interviewer. <laughs> I, I have a hard time forming like there's a reason I write and I, it takes me years to it takes me years to write something that I consider to be worthy of presenting to people. So yeah, like the fact that I could just like sit here and come up with stuff that is digestible is not something that I necessarily there isn't a rewrite. Yeah, phase. yeah, exactly. No, I'm much better. <laughs> with like a lot of thought, a lot of consideration put into what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. So I've been offered to write a book, but it's so intimidating in the weirdest way. Wonderful. You've just lit up and you lit up when you were here and I loved it when you were, we loved that. We loved it. I think you're the only person who smoked a doobie in here. So we let someone smoke cigarettes in here once too. Yeah. That, that was, was regrettable. Way, way less cool. Yeah. yeah that was way less cool. <laughs> Although it did feel nostalgic. I would say like, it just makes you realize how much everything must have stank <laughs> until, yeah, yeah, yeah. until like 1979. Just the whole world reeked like fucking smoke and Ugh. BO and like no one was showering. It. They didn't make soap that worked. Like everything must have yes. just like fucking stank. Yeah, I know. Every time I watch Peaky Blinders and it's like a really yeah. sexy scene, I'm like, they stink. They yeah. fucking stink. That man has never wiped his ass properly <laughs> once in his entire life. Right. Yeah. And then the worst part is their mouths are the grossest part because no one's brushing their fucking teeth and they're making out. They don't know what germs are, like, conceptually, <laughs> I don't think. I think, like that, like, that notion has not occurred to people. Yeah, you can wash a cup out in the toilet water. No one's thinking exactly. about that. <laughs> yeah, I do get sidetracked when I'm watching period piece things yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, your book, your book. So oh, yeah. my hurdle was, what am I going to do? Like, am I supposed to sum up my life like I've learned a lesson and then pass yeah. that on to you? <laughs> no, I couldn't do that. Okay. My entire approach was just like, it should be funny. That was it. It was like funny stories I hope are funny. I was kind of working backwards from super bad in some ways and that it was the first thing I wrote. And it was really just personal. And it wasn't meant to like impart some wisdom. I was 22 <laughs> when we made the movie. I did not have uh, wisdom yeah. that I even assumed I should be imparting. It was meant to be personal in the form of entertainment. Right. And... Once I wrapped my head around that, it actually became much less intimidating and much more comfortable feeling. But I do agree that the concept of writing a book is scary until you realized how many of the dumbest motherfuckers <laughs> in history have written books. You're so right. Donald Trump has written several books. Yeah. Like, the dumbest people there are have written books. They sure and have. And I think it aggrandizes those who read books, I think, this notion that they only are this like incredibly deep intellectual pursuit because they're not, they're entertaining. There are many things. And I do think that's also what's weird about books is like, you generally know why a movie is being made and it is generally to entertain people, but books do not have that clear directive. Yeah. They have a veil of academia or something. I think just cause you read them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And no one's read since college when they had yeah. to. So <laughs> Exactly. But like, honestly, my favorite books growing up were like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and these books that like were just entertaining and like would make you laugh and would make you be like, holy shit. Did you read the Tom Robbins books? 
the answer is 100% going to be no to almost any question <laughs> you ask me. If Because I have not read a ton of books. Okay. And so I really approached writing a book as someone who does not read a lot of books. And to that end, it to me lived or died as to how entertaining it was and yeah. to how just like a movie does. A movie can be trying to convey genuinely the most like deep, insightful thoughts in the world. But if it's boring no one will give a shit about it. If you're going to tell the story of Philadelphia, you better have Tom Hanks behind the helm. Exactly. So once I thought of it as just like funny storytelling that was well thought out, hopefully I could word it and structure them in a way that sounded natural but was funny and you felt like you were with me telling you these stories and again, with the goal of entertaining you and making you laugh, it really demystified it quite a bit. I say all this having no idea if anyone thinks it's remotely a good book in any way, shape, or form. So, like, and with all that, it might be the fucking terrible. So, who knows? But I hope it's good. I think it's funny. But also, who gives a fuck? I hope that the people who buy it think it's good. Well, that would be a nice outcome. Yeah. But you got to write the book that you want to write. And if when you read it, when you're done, you're like, yeah, I did the thing I want to do. It's kind of got to end there. And then maybe we'll get lucky and people love it. Yeah, but it really is geared towards the reader. Like, it's like an unburdened piece of work in my head. I did not feel like I had some, like, deep thing I had to exercise for myself. And and the reader became the outlet upon which I I would do it. Yeah, (laughs) it really is to entertain you, to make you laugh, to be an enjoyable experience the same way you would watch The Office or a funny movie. (laughs) That is what the book is trying to do. I want to pull back the curtain of hair because then they start suggesting like, well, listen, there's a lot of options. You can have this guy, Jerry, he'll come. You guys will chat for a while. He'll throw some stuff together. I'm like, no, no, no. There's no way I could do that. No. Did they ever say that to you? Like, basically, they're saying someone could write this book and you could put your name on it. Yeah, that was never a part of (laughs) it for me. And I wrote, actually, I'd say like probably four or five chapters of the book before I even went out and tried to sell the book to see to myself if I wanted to write a book and if I enjoyed writing the book and if it was something that I wanted to do, you know? So it was something I put a lot of thought into, honestly. But yeah, I knew that if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it. And I've also written enough to know that it genuinely takes me less energy at times to write my own work than to try to rewrite something that was not written well for me in the first place, which was another thing that made it less intimidating. Once I start to think about it is like, I've been writing for myself professionally since I was 14 years old. You've written a thousand pages or more at this point. Yeah. I've written many films for myself, countless hours of stand-up comedy, countless talk show stories and interactions. And it's like writing for myself is something that I've done for 25 years, basically. So that was also something once I really considered, I was like, oh, this should not be as intimidating in my uh, head as it is. Well, the final bit of intimidation for me is the time commitment. So did you do this in quarantine? No, I started years ago. Oh, okay, okay. I don't want anyone to think that you just threw this together, but I was just wondering if that was part of it. No, I finished it in quarantine, and I probably spent like... Yeah, March, April, May, June, like those months, I really like was able to dedicate a lot of time to it that I had not had just like... But I started working on it... 
yeah, like two years ago, I think, something like that. Yeah. And it's a memoir, right? It's sort of a memoir. It really jumps around. Like, it does not follow the story of my life by any means. I guess and, in um, that it starts yeah. with you expressing an interest in comedy and knowing yes. that you're going to have to write stand-up and that, that stand-up should be derived from a source of frustration or pain, and then you decide your grandparents... Uh -huh. You don't care for them too much. <laughs> I, I did not at the time. I went on to develop a great relationship with them. But yeah, I didn't at the time. What was offensive about them? Yeah, I want to hear more about this. <laughs> they were just not that nice to me. They clearly liked my sister much oh. more. Oh. And my grandmother was born like in a caravan fleeing Ukraine as World War I was breaking wow. out. Oh, wow. So yeah. she was like an old, tough lady who like yeah. did not have time for my bullshit. And my <laughs> grandfather was also, he was in the Navy, he fought in World War II. He played professional football for like a soft comedy kid as far as you could get, I would say, in a lot of ways. Yeah, he was probably prepared to throw an object back and forth with you, but not like uh, be an audience to your... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but eventually, actually, when I started joking around about them, they really loved it. And I think when I started writing stand-up jokes about them, they understood finally like what my thing was. And they probably viewed me as a kid where they were like, this little fucking kid is like <laughs> never going to find the thing that he's good at. And he's just going to bother people his entire life. What kind of jokes did you have about them at 15? Or were you 12? When did you take the workshop? I was 12 or 13 the first time I did stand-up. And you were already in karate at this point, right? I had been doing karate, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, the one thing I remember the most back. about our interview is that the karate was the source of your confidence, which I love. I do. I talk about doing karate in the book quite a bit, actually. Um, <laughs> it's karate in, heavy. In the chapter titled The Karate Yid, which is all about uh, <laughs> doing Jewish karate. But uh, yeah, I would tell jokes about my grandparents being deaf and arguing with each other, which they would do all the time. And they would always <laughs> scream at each other and not know what the other person was screaming about. And about how and this joke uh, is relatable to anyone who had an older relative is like my grandmother kind of like poofed her hair out into like an afro, I guess, kind of, you would say. And then whenever she was back it, you could just see right through it. It became completely transparent and, and you could just completely see what she looked like bald like all of her, like her hair just like went away and all of a sudden it was like a little bald grandma. <laughs> she still liked that joke. She appreciated it. Yeah. That's a risk you run when you want to rock an afro that you don't probably think too much about. No, not if you're an old lady with thinning hair. You don't think about being backlit. Yeah. Right. I have a question on that, a little bit of a tangent, but do you feel really validated generally by the sort of mirrors what you said about your grandparents? But I think everyone sort of felt it like you started really young, you had super bad and all these like really funny movies. And I think people put you in that box. And now you're this insanely prolific, incredibly respected everything, writer, producer, actor. And do you feel like yeah, fuck you guys. I told you a little bit. Like, I no, because in general, I was supported, I would say. That's the first thing he says is like he tells his parents yeah. and then instead of them trying to talk him out of it, they immediately look up a place to go take a workshop. But more than just your parents, like the world. Yeah, I'd say... In general, like I've had in real time, it felt like a struggle and it always was. And I always tried to work very hard. But I look back at my life and it's like, I have no reason to be like resentful. It, it's a little simulation-y. 
Well, yeah. Well, it's like I've been like pretty successful since I was like <laughs> yeah, 16 years old. So like, there's not a lot of like voices. Or it's his like, first TV yeah. show before he got his fucking license. <laughs> yeah, like so. I actually like. I'm more mad that I failed my driver's test. Still, if anything, no. Uh, but in general, I feel very lucky, and I feel very supported. I feel like there was a lot of people who encouraged me. Whereas I have friends, Evan. I think I might have talked about this last time I was on your show. Is like his parents, like outwardly discouraged us from writing uh-huh. like would literally be like you're wasting your time <laughs> this is pointless and to them i do feel some sense yeah of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's very directed at them it's not like global to the world it is literally like to evan's parents you know when your business manager sends you a statement at the end of the month you should have his parents cc'd on that yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, now they know that he's successful. I mean, they, they get it. But yeah, in general, I feel like people were very supportive and I did not struggle for that long. <laughs> oh, so the thing I thought of, because you kind of address it, which is you go to this comedy workshop and you're the youngest person there by a decade or more. And you said, and then that becomes a pattern of my life where I'm generally the youngest person in every room I go to. And then I was thinking like, now that you're an old man, like almost like you're the cute kid on the TV show. And at some point you're just not a kid anymore. And I wonder like, have you noticed anything? I guess now that you're so established that just another thing's clicked in, which is like, you're just very trusted at this point. But I'm wondering what that transition is where you're like, oh, many people here are younger than me or they're the same age as me, or this isn't novel anymore. Well, now I very much have the experience where I interact with people who do not appear to be that young to me, but who grew up watching my movies, yeah. like yeah. truly grew up watching my movies. So like- Seminal. Yeah, like 40-Year-Old Virgin came out in 2005. Yeah. So that's wow. what, 16 years ago? So yeah. if you're 23 now, you were- what, Seven. Like not a seven when that good movie came point. out. So like, yeah, that's good. So like I interact with people like that where it's like, oh, like you're someone in your mid twenties and like super bad has like always been in your world kind of. And that is interesting. But what it's nice, honestly, is now we're being trusted like with our work. We're producing like a Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. Who previously was done by Bruckheimer. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like genuinely like a huge IP and the fact that we would be entrusted with it, yeah, is like I'd say a result of what I now look back on is like, oh, we've like we've worked consistently well for a very long time. And yeah. like, although like we take big swings, like they hit more than they miss. So like it makes yeah. sense. And it's honestly things like that. We're doing a Darkwing Duck with Disney and we're doing Ninja Turtles. So like there's some things that are kind of like institutional almost that they wouldn't trust us with this unless us having a track record. They yeah. should give you DC. Like if there were any company I would want to hand DC over to, it'd be you. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the boys, we're doing our own. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what you did with the boys, to me, is what should be done with that world, the DC world. Did you watch the Snyder Cut? No, oh boy. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. What is it? Well, what is it? Another 50 minutes of fucking It is four noise. hours long. Is it? It is four hours long. Did you watch it? I did watch it. Yeah, I can't do it, Seth. They're, they're so noisy. It's less noisy. It's weird. I mean, I, yeah, it's a weird movie, but I enjoyed it. Like, that's what's so funny is like, there's so much like 
energy surrounding it, and then you just watch it, and you're like, yeah, it's like a fun, long superhero <laughs> like movie. Four, you know, like, it's like a four-hour yeah. train accident. I liked it, but it's not bad. It's better than the other one. So, like, I get how it's like, if the goal is to make a film better than the other one, then yeah. But, like, movies are viewed very interestingly in our society. And oh, like, big time. But can I just tell you, I am not a fucking snob. I like everything. And in fairness, I haven't seen either of those. All I can tell you is that I went and saw Superman. I've only walked out of three movies in my life. And yeah. it got so, the fucking third act set piece was, I swear I looked at my watch and I was like, this has been going on for 25 minutes. I've seen 3,000 buildings fall over. There could yeah. be a building left in New York. I And I'm leaving. And yeah. I left. Then you leave. It Yeah, it just gets grueling for me. No, I get it. But on the grand scale of things, like how often do you pay 20 bucks for something and like get 100% your money's worth out of it? Not that often. <laughs> As I order more and more things from the internet, yeah. sight unseen, it's probably yeah, like exactly. 30%. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but wait, I want to go back because I just wanted to tell you a funny one. So these guys on Instagram, like, I don't know what they were doing. Like day 87 of asking Dax to Zoom us, then day whatever. And then I stupidly said, you know, if you do this for 100 days, I'll Zoom you. Or I did something I thought they wouldn't do, and then they did it. So Monica was over, and uh, I said, oh, I got to go Zoom these guys. I don't even know who they are, but they gave me a Zoom link, and I Zoomed, and there was like seven dudes on a couch that were in high school. They were all 15 or 16, and their obsession with me is solely from idiocracy. And I did the math. And I'm like, they weren't bored. This would be yeah. like, like if you and I were obsessed with the conversation or. Yeah, exactly. But then I look back and it's like <laughs> Ghostbusters came out the year I was born, I think. And I loved it. It was my favorite movie growing up. And that's something that I have to like remind myself is that yeah. like, I'm not saying I've ever made a movie remotely like that, but like two kids, how Ghostbusters was always a part of my life. I think. I now meet people who like super bad was always a part of there. So pineapple express was kind of just like always there. Yeah. And they, and their parents liked it, which is also <laughs> weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine even pineapple has more of like a Lebowski following or something. It's still like, if you love weed, I don't know if there's been a movie made after it that would have bumped it out of the movie that you really love. If you love weed, <laughs> you know, the Zenith um, weed movie. <laughs> It's probably still like the most successful weed movie that ever. Well, yeah, because it was funny even if you weren't super into weed. Like I yeah. wasn't, but I loved that movie. And like I wasn't. Well, it was like an actual movie. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't. I mean, this might be disparaging or something, but it wasn't like half baked, where like a ton of people loved half baked. But you had to be super into that. And I was not. But this was yeah, yeah accessible to everyone. Yeah, that was really what we wanted to do: was make a movie like if you smoked weed, you could really tell it was made by people who loved weed. And if you didn't smoke weed, it was just a it movie that you would enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I don't need to understand the professions of every single, like I'm not a spy, but I enjoy James Bond films. I yes. think like that was more what we were trying to do. That's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> I'm going to use it over and over yeah, yeah, as you should earmark that one for your next <laughs> my next book is called that <laughs> what is the name of your book it's called yearbook yearbook weirdly enough that was the idea of Aaron and I's podcast yearbook about mm. junior high anyways mm. okay so houseplant another fantastic name for a company and this is your cannabis centric company but what all do you make because you kept saying homewares and i'm like what does this mean yeah we make home goods and we sell weed 
actual weed in yeah. California only. But nationally, we sell home goods that really consider people who like design or who smoke weed. I smoke weed, obviously. It'd be like Jordan not having a shoe company. Exactly. Yeah, it had <laughs> yeah, to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And parallel to that, I like design. I like my house and my office to look nice. Yeah, I was going to say, let's address your ceiling is so fucking gorgeous. This wood on the I've been like wanting to bring it up wow. for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know this about your wife. You guys infected my wife because when she worked with y'all, she came back and was like, we need this couch. This is the couch they have and showed me a picture and it was insane looking. It looked like if mushrooms were a couch. Oh, yeah. I know a couch you talked about. Yeah. In, in New York. In New York, right? Yeah. It's a good couch. I think when I got my own apartment when I was 18, I was like so enamored the fact that I had my own apartment. I really tried to make it look nice. And I would go to flea markets and I would go to thrift shops and I would now in retrospect go antiquing. <laughs> Although at, 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 at the time, I would never have called it that. But that is what I would do. And I started to collect like mid-century furniture, basically. I think like when Undeclared was made, I bought like a Hans Wigner chair. He makes the most comfortable chairs. And that to me was like a huge purchase. And I happened to live down the block from this Denmark 50 store on Melrose. And I would go to it all the time. I would just like get stoned and walk around the oh, store. You're so weird. I just so happy you're on this planet. What me the too. fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I love it. I got to ask a chicken or an egg question. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. If a guy is a 10, he has the luxury of like, he can fucking have a lawn chair in his apartment, right? Like he doesn't yeah. have to do anything. <laughs> no, I do I wonder do if, if there was any thought about like, when I bring a girl here, this should say something about myself. I would like to think that, but truthfully, the idea of having a girl over was probably so foreign and terrifying that okay, it, was nowhere, okay. it was nowhere on my radar. Either, okay, you know? so it's just um, a genuine love and affinity for... Yeah, it really was. Yeah, I just really liked it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. And, and California had cool architecture. When you film... We yeah. would go to cool houses and we'd be in these cool neighborhoods. And like, I remember like being very young and we were shooting in the hills in that house where they shot Lethal Weapon 2 in. That's like oh, this amazing. On uh, yeah, on the stilts. It's a beautiful architectural house. And I'd never been in a house like that. I remember walking in it for the first time and just being like, this is incredible. It like blew my mind. Well, that is true. That's like an exposure that most people don't have. And then also, don't you think working with production designers, like they open your eyes to like a Bunch oh, of for crazy sure. Stuff. Well, it then really in like 2012, when we were making This is the End, is when we designed like the house for the movie. And that yeah. was really to me, because it was supposed to be like a very high end, like architectural house with a lot of art in it, a lot of beautiful furniture in it. And that honestly was like the first time I could kind of really like hand myself over. I remember turning <laughs> to Evan and being like, I think I love this stuff. <laughs> like, 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 I think I really, really enjoy this. I didn't want to admit it, I think, out of probably some, like, stupid, like, false sense of thinking it wasn't masculine at the time or something like that, honestly, yeah. We grew up in a time where it's like every thought you had, you had to run through the filter of, well, I appear gay if I'm doing this, which I pray that current generations doesn't cross their mind. I genuinely hope it does not. But yeah. yeah, I think I associated loving design with not being a personality trait I should be proud of. Yes, yeah. you should hide it. Yeah, and it was something that I eventually, like, I think, again, because I had to do it for my job, I was more able to be like, I really like this. And it actually all started also, like, 
because I collect a lot of things. And that started with comic books. And then comic books would make kind of vinyl figures and toys. And then comic book shops would sell like toys made by artists and things like that. So that kind of like opened my eyes to like that kind of world of like collecting. Do you also collect art? I do have art, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, oh my goodness. Mm. This is a whole side of you I don't know about. I'm really thrilled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I'm sort of was alluding to earlier. It's really surprising. Like I think people might think or thought that your house would look like a futon <laughs> would look like the house in knocked up it did for a long time okay. uh, for sure until you and the were house 10. and no until i was around until we were shooting knocked up and i had enough money to not live like that anymore honestly it, it's not like a choice like people don't live in squalor because they, they it's a choice i was i was fucking broke until we shot knocked up and then i had enough money to not but actually the house in knocked up is based on my house and they would literally come and take photos of it i found them recently like and like there was so much stuff on my coffee table like beer cans water bottles ashtrays 10 ashtrays filled with roaches and cigarettes and empty chip bags and McDonald's bags and Carl's Jr. bags, like everything. And I remember like Judd would always like refer to the photos that were of my real apartment and he would always come into set and be like, it needs to be a hundred thousand times more disgusting. In here. Like, man, and, then, and like the designers would always be like, I can't believe you live like this. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I, I very much do live like that. But no, yeah, it's not until I could afford to live any other way that I did. That makes me think of, I was with a gal for nine years and we lived in a one bedroom apartment. We were both very heavy smokers, like at least a pack yeah. and a half, maybe two packs a day. And I try to imagine what it would be like to be a non-smoker and walk in that apartment. It had to be terrible. I did that too. Yeah. And I would have these like, you know, like a porcupine of like, like an ashtray that I just like kept sticking cigarettes in. That was like, that was the start of it. That honestly, yeah, that, and I probably at one point was staring at that ashtray and thought, I wish there could be another way. I wish there was a, <laughs> I know I'm better than this. I know I'm better than this, but, but truthfully, yeah, I started collecting like antique ashtrays and vintage ashtrays and table lighters and things like that. And I would show them to people just who came over. I would post them on Instagram sometimes and people like, I could tell people just really like them. And I, and especially if you smoked weed, there's nothing for you. Nothing is ah. being made for you. And the things that are being made for you generally suck. They're, they're like placating you. Yeah. Or they're just like tie dye or like have like yeah. a fucking like a yin yang on them. And for no reason, like <laughs> it, it's just like dumb hippie shit that is meaningless. Stay tuned for more armchair expert. If you dare. We are supported by Native. You know, Monica, one of my most hated smells is when hair burns. Ooh, that's Ooh. a bad Ooh. smell. I hate it. Yeah. Now, you know who fights stink? Native. Native cares about the products you put on your body. They're about stopping the stink the right way. That's the Native difference. You probably already know about Native's legendary aluminum-free deodorant, but have you tried their body wash, toothpaste, or brand new mineral-based sunscreen? I have. I've been wearing their sunscreen every day, and I love it. Face sunscreen is tricky because it can break you out, but this one doesn't. That's wonderful. And you, of all people, need it because you're the biggest sun worshiper I've ever met in my life. I do love a sunshine. Now, they 
they have a broad spectrum SPF 30 sunscreen for your face and body. It's lightweight, absorbs quickly, and you can choose between unscented or coconut and pineapple. Dave is on a mission to overhaul the entire hygiene routine by putting the care in self-care with products carefully made to work against odor that are made with simple ingredients and smell great. You can get their deodorant and body wash in amazing scents like coconut and vanilla, citrus and herbal musk, lavender and rose, and more. Stay fresh, stay clean with Native by going to nativedeo.com slash armchair or use promo code armchair at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash armchair or use promo code armchair at checkout for 20% off your first order. We are supported by, this is a perfect sponsor for this episode. (gasps) McDonald's. Ooh, Seth yeah. Rogen, yeah. Munchies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now they have a buy one of your favorite items and get another for just a dollar, Monica, which Ooh. I use to get, what do you think? Big Mac. Yeah. McDonald's is a celebration for us. It's ceremonial. It is. Look at these special moments at McDonald's are made even better when you're getting delicious food at a great value, like the buy one, get one for a dollar deal, BOGO. So whether you're taking your kids out after they win a big soccer game or you just want to spend some quality time with your spouse, there's a meal for every moment at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, Quarter Pounder with Cheese, 10 piece Chicken McNuggets or filet of fish and get another for just a dollar. So here's to our favorite memories with McDonald's and many more to come, especially now that we can buy one item and get another for just a dollar for a limited time at participating McDonald's. I'm so glad you bring this up because I got to say of all the drugs I've tried, weed's my least favorite. And I do think part of it's been informed by the fucking packaging that you just pointed out, like the aesthetic of weedness. I hate yeah. it. Beads, fucking yeah. gross posters, black lights, <laughs> lava lamps, all of no, it. This is what our weed comes in. Oh, baby oh. girl. Oh, look at this. That oh, that is oh, sweet. That's elegant. Yeah. He's showing us a tie-dyed. <laughs> <laughs> He's showing us a Grateful Dead bear. That, that is, uh, and a wine <laughs> silk or whatever those fucking yeah, wine exactly. bags are called. A patchouli-soaked Grateful Dead bear. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I just really want to try to put a metric on your furniture fileness. So <laughs> have you read books about design? Yes, I have read books about design. Do you have a favorite? No. What I love is like, I've gotten a lot of like consumer packaging books from the past because like obviously we created a brand. And so yeah. they used to release in the 70s, 80s and 90s, these like collections of the best consumer packaging of every year in hardcover books that are actually very hard to find. But uh, you can find them. Yeah. Um, and But then I reading about like Dieter Rams and these guys, Braun, the philosophy, like those people, I do have their books and books on them that yeah. are very informative. Well, it's also so fascinating to think of Apple and the emphasis Apple put on that and how revolutionary that was. And like, I got to imagine 45% of their success is literally that. Oh, yeah. And that's something I got so fortunate in that I got like a very, very deep and intimate look into the world of how Apple was created when I got to do the movie. Yeah. yeah and, and I became friends with Steve Wozniak. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, and so I got to hear very directly firsthand from the people who were there the philosophies behind the creation of Apple computers. And there was some similarities with weed, honestly. At the time, people were very afraid of computers. Like, they 
were stigmatized because they were generally the bad guys in movies. That was kind of like the average person's experience with computers up until the late 70s was like, they're the things that are trying to kill us in science fiction films, Or some scientist who's so ill-prepared to talk to anyone that you're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of what Apple was doing was destigmatizing computers and making them seem friendly and approachable. And honestly, that's a lot of what we talked about and what we talk a lot about with our weed company is that like people are afraid of weed. Uh, Weed's been considered very illicit in a lot of places. It's something that people have like hidden under their desk and in their drawers for a long time. And we don't think it should be any of those things. And so treating it like a good product is something we talk a lot about because that destigmatizes it. Yeah. The fact that it's not treated with reverence as a product is honestly to me a result of its stigmatization and doesn't help the stigmatization of it. It's a great product and it should be treated as such. Yeah, like a nice perfume or something. Yeah, or headphones or anything else. Yeah. And it's way, it's way better than all those products. Like perfume doesn't make your brain feel better for a lot of people. And so like in a world where like that gets such beautiful packaging design consideration, the people who own it feel special and feel like it's really speaking to them on a creative level. Yeah. Weed should do that. Boy, you're immediately making me think of like what a unique experience it is when you get something that is really nice. Like I got a helmet once from France from this company, Ruby, and it came in this like, it probably wasn't leather, but it appeared to be a leather wrapped box and I opened it up and I felt like I was going to pull out a crown or something. Oh yeah, all of our packaging is very beautiful and like we sell ashtrays, we sell ceramic ashtrays, we sell table lighters right now. We sold vinyl box set of records. Ooh. And we made like essentially like mixtapes on vinyl to go with the different strains of weed. Oh my God, what a cool idea. Yeah, and it's great. And they're all packaged beautifully. And people have started to receive them this week. And you could see how thrilled they are. And and they're taking videos of themselves opening them. And it's so nice because we honestly like we wanted to present them as like high end a product as you could possibly buy because these things were generally treated as low end of a product as you could possibly buy. And we really feel like that needs compensation in some way. And so to compensate for how shitty weed products are generally speaking and how shitty products for people who smoke weed are generally speaking, the idea was to like overcorrect, if anything, and really like put as much thought into it and make it feel as nice and special as possible because people who smoke weed should feel special and should feel like they're being considered and should feel like there's someone out there who's like putting a lot of thought into them and their experience. Yeah, it's like the general approach is pretended everyone smoking it is still 17. Like it doesn't seem like there's any kind of elevated for older. All this is making me think of, do you happen to know the history of White Castle and the aesthetic of White Castle? No. (laughs) So prior to White Castle, people generally didn't eat ground beef. Or if they ate ground beef, they ate meatballs. And the invention of the hamburger is a place that was making meatballs and there was a big line and they flattened them out, whatever. That's the history of the hamburger. But so White Castle was like, here are two hurdles. People think that ground beef is low class. Yeah. And two, they think it's really dangerous because at the time it was a little dangerous, you know, because yeah. it was grinding up everything in there and it had a pretty bad track record of <laughs> containing a lot of E. coli and whatnot. So <laughs> there are two solutions for that were, okay, let's make it a castle. That's yeah. that's royal. That's elevated. And then if you notice, all white castles, everything inside is stainless steel. So you go to the counter at stainless steel, all the Clean. preparation area. And so that's trying to make you feel like, oh, you're not going to get E. coli here. So, sterile environment, yeah. 
And fucking A, it's still White Castle, so it worked. It works. You got to understand like hurdles that are in front of you. You can make them strengths. Okay, so ashtrays, that makes total sense, as do lighters. What else do you sell? Here, this I can show you. It's a car lighter that sits in a block of marble. Oh, oh my gosh. I want that. It's like for the desk. It sits on my desk. That's where mine is. But hold on. It'll pop up in a second. Oh, my goodness. So what, you charge it with a USB port or something? No, it just plugs in, basically, like a lamp. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, Oh my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wait, it has a leather bottom? Uh Uh-huh. You're supposed to gift other celebrity shit. Why yeah, haven't exactly. I gotten a box yeah, of all you your stuff? stuff? <laughs> I'll send you something. Yeah, if, you, if you have a kid, I'm going to send you Hello Bello diapers for crying yeah, out exactly. loud. I'm conscious of people's sobriety. I haven't been pushing it on people unless they That's ask, nice. honestly, because I'm aware of the fact that like yeah, a lot you? of people I know don't. But my wife like, isn't sober. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, okay. Then I'll yeah, send she'll it. smoke a big old doobie with you. <laughs> I can for sure do it. We have products coming out like every week or two. We have like dozens and dozens of products in development. And so Houseplant has a website, I assume? www.houseplant.com. How'd you get that? Yeah, that's a big get. Did you have to buy it off someone? For not as much money as you would think. (laughs) (laughs) It was dormant. No one was using it. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's very weird. It's part of why we picked the name, honestly. I mean, we liked the name, but the fact that the domain was... 100% 100% available was very enticing as well. Again, a little simulation-y, a little suspicious. Yeah, exactly. Very convenient. It's a little you have weird. a good role in my dad's simulation. Yeah, yeah. he got a really good role. Really, Maybe the really best. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you miscast yourself in your own simulation. Is the problem. Now, I want to know from you, do you do edibles? Like, I feel like if I dedicated my life to this, it would be edibles, but you seem to have like a real affinity for smoke and leaf i do edibles just don't feel the same to me so okay i think like the feeling i am looking for edibles don't do like i'm not looking to just be like fucking like fucked off my ass like i would describe like (laughs) weed as the right prescription and edibles is the wrong prescription Uh, for you yes for me personally like for other people it might be exactly what they need but for me it is not the lenses that i find helpful Still, the by far majority of weed products sold is just flour. Oh, really? Yeah. Vaping is more and more popular. I don't vape personally just because it makes me feel a little weird and I don't quite understand ah. what is what it is. And do you guys have products, though, that are vape or are edible? or No. You just make what you consume? Yeah. That's a good rule of thumb. In Canada, we have a beverage that's like a sparkling water. That's great. And we've heard people very much enjoy it. And, and it has um, THC in it? Yeah, it has 2.5 milligrams of THC. Oh, how it, fun. Uh, yeah, and it has no sugar. It has three calories. Oh, my um, goodness. Wow. We don't have it in America. We hope to bring it to America. And is it um, at bars? Because that would be so cool. I know. That would be amazing. The laws and attitudes, the average person has towards weed who does not smoke weed all the time is completely like draconian and based on the lies of racist men who died a long time ago but whose lies remain and canada although they federally legalized it in my opinion completely bungled 
the attitude with which they legalized it. Like, weed should never have been illegal. The only reason it was ever made illegal is for racist reasons. That's it. It was racist because it was predominantly smoked or disproportionately smoked by black folks? What was the racist Yeah, origin? because it was not the drug of choice for white, for white European people, yeah. men. <laughs> that yeah. did, it's a yeah. silly, like, they liked alcohol. Yeah. Whereas black people, people from South America and Central America, indigenous people, they smoked weed. Right. And therefore, it was a very easy way to criminalize, criminalize. the yeah. activities of everyone who was not them because yeah. it was not their preference. And in fact, their drug of choice was a hundred times more deadly and dangerous than weed. Well, that's why I'm so pro weed. If I got to pick between my kids imbibing weed versus alcohol they're not going to wrap a car on a tree they're not going to get in a fist fight no. they're not going to black out i mean it's all the not things all. i don't drink and it's completely because alcohol i in my opinion is i don't like how it makes me feel i don't like getting hangovers it ruins how i sleep personally like and it is just unhealthy <laughs> whereas weed is not like, yeah, but Canada, it's still so much easier to buy alcohol than like the attitudes have not shifted nearly to the degree that they should have. And I think even people who consider themselves progressive do not understand that their views of weed are based off of racist lies. I got in an argument with this guy, Walter Schaub on Twitter the other day, who used to be the head of the U.S. Government Ethics Committee, I believe, from his Twitter bio. And <laughs> he was saying how if you smoke weed all day, you got problems. And I was like, that is based on racism. Uh huh. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And he started DMing me and I explained to him, like, your perception of the fact that, that you have problems if you smoke weed just so you know, when you say that, you are supporting lies that were created to control people, basically. Mm. And he didn't realize it. And oh. he, he apologized and he no. took down his tweets. Yes. Oh, that's great. You, wow, that's not possible. Here we go. Another thing that can't happen. You can't it's change great, someone's mind. But it's horrifying because wow. I'm like, this motherfucker works in the government. He's in the, the U.S. ethics. Like, he doesn't know. I have to tell him that Harry Anslinger, the guy who made weed illegal, was a racist piece of shit. He doesn't know that. There's more people put in jail for weed than anything. He doesn't know why. Like, what the fuck? It was fucking appalling to me, honestly. And it's, it's insane. And, like, I was hoping with Biden coming in, it would have this, like, drastic shift. It has not. You mean like on a governmental level or an institutional yeah. level? Or, yes. Well, don't you think part of that is because there's no corporate pressure? Like the alcohol industry is so mega that they have lobbyists and they're helping write bills. And you think maybe that's part of it? Well, I think specifically the alcohol industry is terrified that the weed industry is going to cannibalize its business. And yeah. they are probably a large part of the reason that it's illegal. And I also think the pharmaceutical industry probably is a large part of that reason as well, because they know it will start to cannibalize their business as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I had a similar experience as you, but with way less victory. So I was in an off-road race and I got to talking to this other guy who was racing and he was a retired DEA agent. And he had a daughter, like 20-something-year-old daughter that lived in Colorado. So I said to him, God, now in retrospect, do you feel like I can't believe how much time and money we threw into cracking down on marijuana? You know, now given that Colorado has no problems 
And he was like, absolutely not. And I'm like, you still think that that's something we should be going after and putting resources behind? He goes, absolutely. And I go, okay, so you'd rather have your daughter in Colorado hammered versus stoned? He goes, absolutely. Do you know what it does to your brain? And I'm like, oh my God, he really, really. Do, do you know what it does to your brain? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no success. I didn't tip him in, at all. It's very much ingrained. And I think it's one of those things that like people like to downplay it, I think, as a relevant topic even. And when I was younger, it's something that I think, I don't know if I felt shame that I thought about it as much as I did or put as much energy into it, but I would say people tried to make me feel shame for it. And it yeah. was something I probably was slightly reactive to, or even in my head was like, am I thinking about this too much? Is this something I'm putting too much energy into? And the conclusion I've reached is the answer is no. Like, yeah, yeah. I truly love weed. I truly understand. I feel why some people smoke it all day, every day, and are still functional, emotionally uh, connective members of our society. Yeah. And I feel like people don't understand that pretty much every negative thing they've heard about weed was created to control non-white people, specifically black people. And I also, since realizing that, again, more people are put in jail still, Still. In America, for weed, than anything. It's insane. So crazy. It is bonkers. If anything, I'm like, not enough people are talking about it. Like, anyone who tries to be like, you talk about weed too much, my answer is like, fuck you. No, you don't talk about weed enough. There's more people being put in jail for this shit than anything for no fucking reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, also, like, I think people are, are semi-aware of the racist policies that delineated between powdered cocaine and crack cocaine like that seems to be like an ubiquitous understanding like oh that's interesting it's the same fucking thing one thing black people gravitate towards and one thing white people and and the penalty is tenfold i think with weed it's so big i think americans really don't like it when an infrastructural part of their society that they have lived with every day is based on racism and mm -hmm. they don't like it when that's the answer and they often will just ignore it as a result of not wanting to think yeah, it doesn't fit it. into the theory and that is where weed is people are like how could it possibly all be because of racism we're better than that that's not who we are we couldn't let that happen it must be bad it must be a gateway drug it must be bad for your brain that is how they reconcile that they live in a society that has many cornerstones to its infrastructure that are all 100% based on racism mm -hmm. is they pretend they're not. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, things don't change. And another thing that I notice in America a lot is people are very sensitive towards hurting the feelings of racists. <laughs> By overall, we don't want to say something's racist if it isn't because that might hurt the feelings yes. of the racist. Like, fuck that. It's racist. And we should say it's racist. Is these conversations, oh, don't call it a hate crime. That might hurt the racist feelings. Like, what a fucking insane world we live in. And it's all symptoms of the same problem with weed and with not wanting to classify things as hate crimes is that we are overly protective 
of the feelings of racist people. Yeah. I don't understand it. Like, who fucking cares? Like, fuck you. It's a hate crime. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Oh, we could get into this. Well, I just had an Instagram issue the other day. The son of one of the women who was killed in the Atlanta shootings, he went to my high school. And anyway, they were raising money. I posted this and I wrote a little thing. And then someone was like, don't say it's a hate crime when it's not a hate crime or you're going to be part of the problem that you're trying to fix like on this show. Like it's causing more division. And I was like, look, I'm not interested in causing division, but I'm also not interested in protecting white feelings when six Asian people just died. And also like the fact that you have the luxury to even say this right now is part of the racist issue. Take away even the shooting itself. The fact that you, a white man, can comment, let's get technical about the details. Yeah. It's like, wait, wait, wait. This just proves your entitlement and your privilege. Like, ugh, it's Oh, so- this is great. So guys, I'm the, the odd man out here. This is great. So maybe I'm wrong. I do think there are realities. There's atomic realities on planet Earth. And I think had this guy shot a bunch of women because they were Asian, you've got a racially motivated hate crime. But if he shot them because he was going to jerk off parlors, that's who works at them. And he was an evangelical who was shame ridden. And now the guy's a piece of fucking shit. There's no question. And he went and killed people because he blamed them for his weakness and this religion he took on. But if his motivation was that... Are we not allowed to draw a distinction between that? Like, isn't it relevant if his motive was this shame of his sexual proclivities? I mean, I guess you could say then, if the masseuses had been white, would he have thought they were so disposable and you could just kill them? Now, maybe there's an argument there, but it is relevant that the motivation wasn't, I hate Asian people. <laughs> it, it's relevant if your goal is to protect the feelings of this person who it's not the people. guy's a piece of shit i'll say he's the worst <laughs> piece of shit in the world is, then why is it relevant then who cares well like, because call it a hate crime well i'll tell you why if someone goes and mugs somebody who's a drug addict and they mug someone because they want money for drugs and that person happens to be laotian or whatever if you go oh he mugged them because they were laotian well now you're not talking about reality he mugged them because he would have mugged anybody who had money because he wanted drugs like But I think what, I mean, I guess I'm probably not the best person to speak to this specifically. I don't know if his articulation of why he did this is as relevant as the result. Or even as Uh, accurate. Yes, as exactly. The result is he killed a lot of Asian people in a city that does not have a lot of Asian people. He targeted these people. But the question is, did he target them because they were Asian or did he target them because they were sex workers that he was ashamed he had employed? Well, then the question would be, why was he ashamed that he employed these sex workers? How did he view them? What were the stigmas that led up to him viewing them as the people that were his sexual outlet? Again, are we to take his word for it? That's what we're doing. If he's like, oh, I didn't kill them because they're Asian. I killed them because they were sex workers. Like, is that valid? Is his take on it as valid as the factual reality of what he did? Well, here's what I think. I think there's undeniably, quantifiably, an enormous uptick in hate crimes against Asians since Trump was calling it the China flu or China whatever. That's true. And we can stand on that. But I think when liberals start folding anything into it, that is actually the ammo by which 
other people go, they're crazy. Like now they're pretending that he hated Asian people. But it's even deeper than that, though. It is systemic racism that young white males often feel so entitled that their sexual proclivity is a whole bunch of women's fault. Oh, I agree. It's like, disgusting. But that is part of the systemic racism. It's not just that he is sick or he is this. It's part of this built-in societal issue where white men are protected all the time and their feelings are protected and their thoughts are protected. And then, of course, the reaction of the well, sheriff. Well, that that's to me totally racist. Like, like the sheriff saying, oh, he had a bad day. I just don't understand why we would give him the benefit of the I doubt. I agree. There's one thought process that it's a hate crime. And then if we are to take him at his word, there's a thought process that it is not. Well, I would say it would be a shame crime. But why is his take on the situation to be respected any more than the perception of those who were affected by it. That's what is just confusing to me, is if this community feels as though they were targeted, then it happened. And if he is saying, I didn't actually target them, well, he did. It happened. Can I approach this another way? Let's say we wanted to prevent this from ever happening again. Would the move be to go into schools and explain the value and equality of Asians to kids and hope that that would stop it? Or in this case, if we want to prevent this case, we should be attacking the shaming nature of religion, the white, uh, the white entitlement of sexuality. Like if we could get everyone to see Asians as they see their own in-group, would that prevent this crime? And I don't know that I think that. I think that this is a lot about religion, a lot about shame, a lot about that cycle. Yeah, to me, it seems racist. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> well, good, guys, we hashed it out. Everyone, everyone's opinions was heard. And I respect everyone. <laughs> Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Wealthfront. Stonks, memes, rocket ships, day trading can be a lot of fun, but if you want to grow your long-term wealth and make it to the moon, you should open up a Wealthfront investment account today. Decades of data show that investors that trade individual stocks underperform the market every year. In fact, only 1% of day traders beat the market. The odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone. Team up with Wealthfront. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. They automatically handle all the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront can even help you lower the taxes you pay as you invest. For the average client, their tax loss harvesting can more than cover the low annual 0.25% advisory fee. Best of all, it's automatic. All you need is $500 to get started. Grow your wealth the easy way and let Wealthfront do the work for you. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can get your first $5,000 managed for free by going to Wealthfront.com DAX. To get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to Wealthfront.com DAX. That's Wealthfront, W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash DAX to start growing your savings. Go to Wealthfront.com slash DAX and get started today. We are supported by Nutrafol. 
Millions of Americans experience thinning hair. It's common, even normal, but it's not openly talked about, so going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. It's time to change the conversation and join the thousands of people standing up for their strands with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is formulated with potent botanicals to help you grow hair as strong as you are, and it's physician-formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use natural, clinically effective botanicals for better hair growth through whole body health. On top of thicker, stronger hair without lasers or chemicals, Nutrafol's ingredients may also help you get a handle on better sleep, stress response, skin, nails, and libido. Now, when you subscribe, you'll receive monthly deliveries so you never miss a dose. Shipping is free, and you can pause or cancel anytime. Nutrafol can help you achieve your best hair growth naturally. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using promo code ARMCHAIR to save 20% off your first month's subscription. This is the best offer available to U.S. customers for a limited time plus free shipping on every order get 20 percent off at neutrafol.com spelled n-u-t-r-a-f-o-l.com promo code armchair for hair as strong as you are seth you produce so many awesome things now i really really love the boys i was really late to it but then i was kind of happy to be late to it because i got to blow through two seasons and then like Three came out and I got to watch it real time, which was so great. Are you acting at all? I am acting. Yes. Okay. What are you acting in? I'm about to start acting in this Pam and Tommy miniseries for Hulu about the Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee. Oh, oh, cool. my God. Who's doing that? Who's in that? I want that. You're Tommy Lee, obviously. No, he's exactly. Sebastian Stan is Tommy Lee and Lily James is Pamela Anderson. And I am the guy who uh, steals their sex tape. When you play a real person, which now you're doing all the time, <laughs> you did Wozniak. Yeah. What's the approach? Do you try to get some of the things or do you just try to find the truth in whatever's written and do it that way? I think it depends on how much the person is known uh, is a yeah. part of it. You know, like in The Disaster Artist, I played that guy who I was playing was a real guy, technically, but I actually made myself look almost exactly like the real guy, and I took some of his cues, but no one would know that ever in a million years. So I'd say, like, it's as helpful as it is helpful when it ceases to be... Yeah, you take what's the, uh, yeah. good about it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay, so you're doing that. Okay, good. So I guess we talked about it last time, but I guess I would just want to hear your final thoughts on it. We already were lamenting about comedy, movies in general, and that was pre-pandemic. So now it just seems like, okay, all but the last nails in the coffin. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think still, like, since I saw you last, I think I'd probably released a few comedies and theaters that have done well. So I think it'll keep happening for some movies. Like, I think as a filmmaker, you have to consider... Before, this wasn't a question you had to consider, which is like, where will my movie wind up? Like yeah. Before, if you made a movie, pretty much it wound up in theaters. And then every once in a while, it became like a straight-to-video movie. Now, that's not at all it. Now there's like dozens of options for a film to come out. And it's just something to be aware of. And I think as you're making your film or putting together your film or starting to conceive of what type of film you want to make, yeah, the idea of where will this live should be weighed as much as you would weigh any other yeah. thing. What were the genre, the budget? And that's what we do. Have you, though, shifted? I remember the moment where I was like, 
people would tell me an idea like, oh, I got a great idea for a movie. And I'm like, that is a great idea, but you should be thinking of it as a TV show. If you ever want it to get made and you want people to see it, do you still, when you get a great idea, is your first thought like, this would be a great movie? Or have you transitioned into, this would be a great TV show? No, I'm fully doing both. I find TV, honestly, like I do not understand that world as, as much as films. And, and to me, I find it to be much more competitive in a lot of ways and much less logical as far as what is getting made and what isn't and what they're taking a shot on and what they're passing on with our films. Like generally, if it's a good script and performers who people seem like they are excited about, like we have a shot at getting it made. We've brought out what I would consider like very compelling TV packages in the past that have been unanimously rejected uh. where I'm like genuinely shocked. And with films, it happens sometimes, but with TV, it, it seems to happen with far more frequency because I think there's just so much more available to the people producing it, you know? Yeah, both things are true. They're making several hundred TV shows. So in that sense, you have much better odds than the 13 yeah. movies they're going to make. But at the same time, to your point, it's very fucking confusing what they're going to make. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be like the obvious recipe for it. No, I'm, with movies, it feels a little more intuitive to me at least, as to like what would do well in a theater, what, would, what wouldn't. what would Yeah. Well, the other wild thing is too, I'm sure you've had this where for years all I did is pitch movies and then I started pitching TV and then it was explained to me when I left with the agent, like, oh, I was like, wow, they didn't laugh once. And then the agent said, well, that's certainly the 20th pitch they've heard today. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh my God, these people. And then I found up the numbers and like during pilot season, these people get pitched like a thousand projects. Yeah. No movie executive ever got pitched a thousand projects. No, it's so different. Yeah. We're very actively doing both. You yeah. Know, we have a lot of films and a lot of uh, TV shows in development and at various stages of production. I feel lucky. It's like a mystifying thing. I'm amazed. I look at the boys and I'm still amazed. Like, it's so awesome. It just came out on iTunes and I like turned on my TV and it was like the number one thing on iTunes. And I was like, I was just like, I've never made anything. It's by far the most popular thing I've ever really? been a part of making. Yeah. It's phenomenal. I've recommended it to yeah. so many people. Yeah, thanks. No, it's like we make movies that people like and that do well, but it's like the TV equivalent of making one of the most successful movies of the year, which we will never do, you know what yeah. I mean? Like It's like the equivalent of like a $600 million movie. Yeah, exactly. Which like we will never do. <laughs> right. You right. know what I mean? But with this, we were able to, yeah, make a show that like is one of the most popular shows on TV, which is crazy. And that's I, awesome. And it's very validating because I remember literally when the first comic came out, me and Evan buying it and going to Sony and being like, you should make this into a movie at the time. And what's funny is they bought the rights to it and then they hired Adam McKay to develop it and not us. Um, and he developed it for years. And for whatever reason, it fell apart. And then someone else developed it for a long time. And for whatever reason, that fell apart. And then like 10 years later, we got it back wow. and turned it into the show. That's crazy. Yeah, it's totally insane. <laughs> well, I love you. People should buy your book. Buy your book. And then they should buy a bunch of very sexy products that we just saw. You didn't see, but I do encourage people to go to houseplant.com. Incredible, you have that URL. <laughs> we got it. Go there and look at all the truly exquisite and beautiful design. And then I guess if you live in California, also smoke houseplant weed. Yeah, yeah. if it is available to you, feel free to. So when picking which ones you were going to release, I imagine you just smoked like a bazillion different 
recipes. Yeah, a lot of different strains, hundreds. Hundreds. Uh, over the course of years, yeah. It's like a process of vetting growers and then uh, choosing strains. So I'd say between those two steps of the process, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of wheat. And it's ongoing because we're always looking for new strains. So I literally have a drawer of like 15 different types of weed. And do you my, schedule uh, like <laughs> R&D time? Like, oh, fuck, I got to smoke those three strains before Monday. I do have deadlines, which is funny, but I, I will try to like put them in effect. I'll try to be like, okay, if this is supposed to be like a sativa that we're telling people is what they should be smoking during the day, then I got to smoke it all day and make sure that it's like a good functional weed. It's hilarious. It is it, really it, so yeah. stupid. Even hearing you say it, I'm like, I can't believe he can Even, say that. Yeah, saying it, it's, it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> What's funny is like I was doing David Chang's show where I, I took him to Vancouver and we like went around for the day and we were smoking weed the whole time. And there was a point when he turned to me and he's like, I don't mean this as an insult, but like to me, what is most impressive about you is your ability to smoke weed. Like <laughs> it, it, he's like, it, and he's like, and I'm a fan of your film and the other things you do, but like, it's really amazing. Like how you are able to process it. And I was like, this motherfucker's probably smoked weed with a lot of people throughout his life. He's a chef. If anyone has been around a lot of people who smoke weed, it's him. And the fact that I've left that impression on him made me think like, I shouldn't fight this. It is something that I should like shamelessly dedicate huge chunks of my life to and not pretend that it is not something that I honestly care a lot about and that I genuinely think is important. Well, know? we all kind of have this little, I think, thought in our head is like, are we world class at anything? And that's, yeah. that's what you're world-class at. I can smoke weed with the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, good luck with everything. Great seeing you again. I hope you'll write you another book or launch another company so we can do it again. <laughs> no problem. I'm working on it. All right. See you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Are we recording? Always recording. ABR. I tricked you into singing. That was a harmony. Let's try it again. Okay. A-B-R. Ooh, I feel like we got it for like three <laughs> tenths of it. <laughs> Good morning. You look stunning. I want the audience to know Thank that you, you got really dressed up for a guest that we just had. We're on a hot streak. And you know, all hot streaks come to an end. That's what they say about diarrhea. It comes to an end. Yeah. Unless you have dysentery or, or a worm. Ebola. <laughs> Ebola. Or, I, I use the female instead of the male. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did a mix of E. coli and Ebola. E. coli. Ricola. E. <laughs> we recorded with a very special person yeah, today. Yeah, we're, we're excited. Okay. I do kind of want to, speaking of special guests that we love desperately and deeply. Yeah. A part of me wants to address Bill. Oh. Not in a sensational way, of course, but I just do not like the memes. I, I thought about this, of course, because people put on the comment section, like, what are your thoughts? And I think it's a shame. I, I wish for him and his family everyone wasn't talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. So I don't really want to add to that. I mean, in his... Their statements that like please oh I know. grant our families That's the true. privacy. That's true. So it's like I don't. I guess what I want to say, my, well, I can tell you my opinion on it. It's a huge success. Anyone who's like looking at it as a failure, in my opinion, 
you know, unless you've been married 28 years and raised four kids successfully, you're not in a position to say it's a failure. Oh, for sure. It's a huge success. Two human beings came together. They created three beautiful, wonderful, functional children and the best foundation since Rockefeller. So it's a huge success. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I just was like, do you even, to me, it's almost like. Like, are we doing the thing we're saying don't do? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Anywho. I still love Bill the exact same amount. Of course, so yeah. do I. And Melinda. More. I like them both more. Me too. <laughs> I love them together and I love them apart. Me too. Yeah. Very special people. I'm grateful that they are continuing to work together. And Yeah. A part of me, when I heard, was like, why'd they do that? They should just, they should just stick it out. And or my I, thought was just like just separate, but don't you don't don't announce it. Right. How would anyone know if they were separated or not? Right, but then people would take pictures, and then it'd be a whole like I get why they had to be open about it. But a part of me, and I think this is just from my upbringing, where it's like, yeah, things aren't very good, but just you just do it. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is bad. Yeah, I, I don't uh, subscribe to that. I agree. I don't yeah. think it's good, and I actually applaud. The con- It takes a lot of bravery. Incredible, knowing that this was going to happen, mm-hmm. that everyone was going to talk about it, and it was going to be a thing, and they put themselves ahead of that, I think is commendable. It seemed like every single person knew much quicker than yeah. everyone knew about the shooting in Atlanta or yeah, yeah, yeah. all these other things that are like, you know, really important yeah so my inclination is like at first i'm like oh we suck as people we're all just gossip mongers but then you know it's just one way to look at it. another way to look at it is like oh that's cute the monkeys love love and they yeah. love when people are in love and they and they feel sad when it doesn't yeah, and so, I, there's so much projection everyone's projecting their own relationship on or it. their ideal relationship yes yeah, so it's like oh no that didn't work out how will mine ever work out yeah yeah, I guess I have have no knowing literally nothing about the relationship. I yeah. imagine the two of them sitting at dinner, eating a very healthy dinner, and they're both so smart. And Not they're healthy. Having a, they like um. Burgers. Well, he likes Wendy's and stuff. Yeah. but they have a chef. I'm sure. Oh, mm. uh, at any rate, my in my fantasy, they yeah. they have their <laughs> look how much we're talking about it. Um, uh, they're eating <laughs> they're eating this really healthy food, and they're both so intelligent yeah. that they're having like the most stimulating conversations all the time. Yeah, that's my fantasy. I know everyone's putting their fantasies mm-hmm. on it. <laughs> it's not fair to them. And then he like he grabs her passionately oh, and wow. right on the table oh. that they just ate dinner on. Healthy dinner. He screams for the staff to like there's a code word like Penelope. And then everyone has to exit the house so no, they can No, that's not. I don't oh, like that. I part. went too far. You don't want them to make love on the dining room table? I mean, I don't want I the do. I don't want the people who work for them to have to scurry out every time they get like an urge. Horny. Yeah. You think it'd be better if they just expose the staff to their love? No, that's bad too. <laughs> right. So you're looking at the lesser of <laughs> They probably evils. can't have sex on the table if you that's the life you live. Then I don't Also, want we it. don't know it that we don't know <laughs> that. We don't know if that's one person not the works life in their they house. live. That's yeah. not the life they live. We don't even know if anyone works in their house. Yeah, there's all fantasy. They're like the royal. There are royals. <gasps> Yeah, let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why'd you bring this up? <laughs> um, okay, speaking of royals. Yeah. White Castle. Mm, okay? Great segue. Thank you. I looked for it and I found it. You were right. Mm. Um, Americans were hesitant to eat ground beef after Upton Sinclair's The yeah, Jungle. The Jungle. Had publicized the poor sanitation practices of the meat packing industry. So 
Big expose. Uh, yes. So the founder set out to change the public's perception of the cleanliness of the industry. So they changed to small buildings with stainless steel interiors and employees outfitted with spotless uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Prior to that, they really wore smart. old ripped white T-shirts with blood stains all over yeah. them. Nicolai <laughs> oh, growing on that ding ding ding. ding. <laughs> do you find... Uh, uh, <laughs> do, do you ever find that you ding, ding, ding in real life and, you, and then you realize Nobody no one knows, knows what you're fucking yeah. talking about? Yes. I, I even did it like I think I was being interviewed or something and I just <laughs> threw a ding, ding, ding out and then I was like, oh, Jesus. I, but it's an Easter egg for people who uh, do know. That's true. But the, for the interviewer, it was so confusing. Why is he just going ding, 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 ding? <laughs> it's become too... I think I even do it in front of the kids and they don't really know what it means. <laughs> Whatever. I kind of like it. It's like a secret language. Uh, that's true. Like the secret menu at, at In-N-Out, which is uh, not White Castle, but they're both But still a Dingles. And still... Cola. Uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> can I... Under- oh, no. Yeah. Finish up on uh, No, that's White it Castle. for White Castle. It was. Okay. I read some really thoughtful comments about powwow oh like people really took a minute to i like that be kind and thoughtful about that and i appreciated it because i i i I mean as a character defect i get defensive easily sure and so they they were just patient and kind that's nice yeah so i'm gonna stop saying it oh that's good Mm -hmm. what did they say that turned you well, I'll tell you what turned me. It's very simple. I'd only heard from white people not to say it. So I don't trust right. when white people tell me not to do something. If someone from that culture tells me they don't like it, then I'll stop. Yeah, and so yeah. it was actually people from the Native American culture oh, that makes who sense. said it. And now I'm I'm over it. Yeah. A bunch of honkies in our circle telling me all the things I totally. can't say. I, I don't. I just need to know more. Yeah, I, I guess. get that. And, I get that. and it is on me. And also I have a limited bandwidth. I'm not going to spend... A, a full day of my life going through all the potentially triggering words in our lexicon. That's true. But when you when you hear one is flagged, mm-hmm. maybe it's worth like taking a little bit of an extra yeah. second to deep dive to know. It is. What I don't want to do is just knee jerk listen to what anyone yeah, says. That makes sense. Like master bedroom and stuff. Right. Anyways, I appreciated those comments and I'll I'll nix powwow. I love that. Yeah, one of the things they pointed out was like it, the way we use it is like it is. It's a, it's an impromptu gather round, and it's a very important discussion for Native Americans. Oh. It's not in like an impromptu like let's uh, let's just regroup. It's not a regroup. It's you know so it's not even being used properly. Yeah, yeah. If it were just a regroup for them, maybe it wouldn't even be yeah. offensive. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. Um, is Pineapple Express mo- the most successful weed movie? So. The 15 highest grossing stoner movies of all time. See, the hard thing is what classifies a stoner movie? Also, how are they judging the success of it? Financially? Yeah, financially. Okay. Yeah, they're going to get loosey-goosey with stoner movies. Yeah, like number one is Ted. Oh. I don't know, maybe. I I haven't seen Ted, so. Does the teddy bear smoke weed? Oh, yeah. Okay, then that counts. Yeah, sure. Okay. We'll give them a pass. So, Ted, the second one is Knocked Up. No. I mean, they do smoke a lot of weed in that movie. Do they? Yeah. I don't think so. They do. The bo- the guys do. And he's a stoner. That's I, sort of the thing. It's like, oh. I know because I love that movie. Knocked up. So much. It's a great movie. Three is This is the End. 
I, these, this is anything Seth Rogen's in, exactly. basically. Yeah. And then four is Pineapple Express. Okay. So th- that was, I mean, All right. you know. Yeah. I'm sure Stoner made this list, so. That's true. Stays in Confused, not on that? Cheech and Chong. Hold on. Oh, Everyone relax. Cheech and Chong. Guys. Stays in Confused. <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Cheech and Chong is number 10. Okay. Well, Cheech and Chong's next movie is number 10. Ooh. Actually, Days and Confused did not make this top 15. That 70s show? It might not have been higher, high grossing. They didn't do inflation. I guess. Yeah, Days and Confused didn't make too much money. We all saw it. It's like swingers. They didn't do gross. They're not doing. No, foreign or domestic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's our big stumbling block. (laughs) You said a wine silk or whatever those wine bags are called. Oh, yeah, a little silk. (laughs) <laughs> little sack of wine. Wine bag. You call it wine cooler. Um, that's it. What's it called? Wine bag oh. or wine cooler. Wine silk's not a thing? I mean, I guess you could. Why Why couldn't you? Let me see if I Google wine silk. Oh, like when I type in wine silk, just a bunch of wine comes up. You're going to get a little more leverage with a wine bag. Wine skin. Wine, what did I say? So, wine silk. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, think. wine, wine skin. skin. Yeah. I'm thinking of a wine skin. A wine, a wine skin s- is an ancient container made of animal skin, usually a goat, used to transport liquids such as wine, olive oil, milk, wine, butter, or even cliffhanger ending. I got to go to the Wikipedia page now. Jeez. But listen, a wine skin of the, the pictures I'm looking at, that's... Is that what you were talking That's about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. This little hippie thing that people carried around. Like a flask. Yeah, it's like a... It looks like a flask. Yeah, they're way bigger than a flask, though. They're about this big. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you can put a bottle of wine in there for sure. Yeah. Maybe two. Mm. Ooh, wine skin. That makes me think of foreskin a little bit. <laughs> of course it does. Mm. Well, it's the only compound word with skin at the end I can think of. No, um... Mm-hmm. Do, do, do. Tummy skin. No. Grapes <laughs> have s- grape skin. That, I don't think that's a compound word. Ball skin? No. no that's ball skin. Also, not private part words. Moleskin is not. Moleskin. Oh, moleskin. That's a good one, Rob. Yeah, that's a good one. That's Rob. a good one. I Googled it. Okay. <laughs> okay, well. Compound words with skin? Credit. What on? Yeah, that was my search. <laughs> okay, so the couch that Lauren. Seth's wife told Kristen to get yeah. is a Roche Babois. Oh wow! I knew it would have a French name. R O C H E B O B O I S. Say it again. Roche Babois. Oh my God! Hit me one more time. Roche Babois. Wow. Roche Babois. Can I make a suggestion to you? Sure. The next time you're on a date, uh huh, and you really like the boy, okay, I want you to lean over during dinner, mm. and in his ear, mm. I want you to say, Roche Babois. No. <laughs> Hold on. What is it? Roche, Roche. Roche Bois. All right, so, um, just this is such a great dinner. I've 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 gone on like a hundred dates this year, and this is the first one I really like. Me too. This is going great. And then you lean in. Wait, I thought you were gonna be. No, there's me. a tip for you. I know, but I thought you I were trying s- to teach me. It doesn't sound good when I say it. So, all right, okay. listen. This is. Oh my god, this is the best date I've ever been on. Me too. You're so cute. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh. Wait, I thought I was supposed to go. No, you insisted I do it, and I teach you. <laughs> <laughs> this date's going poorly. <laughs> I've never seen you again. <laughs> what oh if you both, goodness. if you both leaned in at the same time to oh. say Roche Babois, you should walk straight out of that restaurant into a chapel. Chapel, that's Oof. right. 
Go to a white castle, a white chapel. To a white chapel. That's pretty much it. Oh, wow. That's that? Yeah. Have you started smoking copious amounts of weed since interviewing? I have not. I'm not a a weed gal, and I'm not a vape gal. Edible gal? And I'm not an edible gal. I'm a wine gal. I'm a wine skin gal. Have you done edibles? No. Okay. So we don't know if you're an edible gal That's yet. true, but I, I, I don't think I am you because I'm not, not going to. Yeah, it, may, it makes you less sharp, which is not what you like. You like to be sharp. I do. Unless you're really drunk, then you're... I mean, yeah, it's weird because alcohol definitely doesn't make you sharp. But you feel sharp. <laughs> that is that is the distinction. Like when you're stoned, you know you're not sharp. You're like, yeah. wait, what? What was I saying? Ooh, yeah. But on, on booze, you think you know exactly what you're saying, Until but you've said it, it turns, 10 times. At some point it turns, and then you realize like, oh, no, I'm not. <sighs> oh, yeah, not as sharp not, as I thought. I'm not making as much sense. But for me, that was always way beyond the point. I had stopped being sharp. Okay. And I think for most people. I think most people, there's a window where they think they're still being sharp, and they're they're not. <laughs> before they realize it. Well, it also, if you're with the other people drinking too, everyone's on that same level. Yeah, so. yeah. There's no uh, outside observer to yeah. let you know. I just thought of something, though. What's interesting is as annoying as it is when people are hammered and they think they're really sharp, uh-huh. even worse is when they recognize they're not, and then they start going, I'm sorry. I'm fucking, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, the I'm the repetitive. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to fucking get this <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my god! Just stop saying sorry. Fucking go to bed. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in that situation, haven't you? Yeah, it yeah. doesn't bother me as much. Oh, I it's just so but repetitive. you're you're sober. I mean, you're gonna feel it <laughs> so much more. It's a harder hit to me. Big time. It's a ten to me and like a three to you. Well, don't yeah. tell me what I am. Okay. But I'm a three. Okay. <laughs> Rush Babarge. Rush Babarge. Oh, Rush Babarge. Um, I love you. I love you. Bye. Bye. 